We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Steven Adams is a monster, man. He's a, <laughs> he's a monster like somebody from Game of Thrones or something. Like we call him uh, Gandalf because like he's never early or late. He's always <laughs> at the right time. My job is to never stop. Regardless of percentages, I don't really give a damn about percentages, honestly. All I care about is wins. Yeah, I'm used to it. I'm used to this. Y'all ain't met playing LP yet, huh? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Uncontested, a podcast where we cover the NBA, OKC Thunder, and pop culture. You can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find them and articles and tons of other cool stuff over at our website at theuncontestedsports.com. I am the Thunder Mob, Jacob Niffen, and today I am joined by Kami Armarabian. That's me, and I'm very sad. He is very sad because we are about to break down the Thunder's 102-95 to loss to the Utah Jazz in Game 2. Kami uh, let's start out. Give me if you if you have to pick one reason why the Thunder dropped this game tonight. What are you going with? That's a good question. I might say urgency, defensive urgency, but also here's the main stat. Although Oklahoma City only turned the ball over 13 times to Utah 16 times, Oklahoma City scored 15 points off of Utah's 16 turnovers. Utah scored 29 points off of OKC's 13 turnovers. Wow, that is... I hadn't seen that stat. That's pretty staggering. And besides the fact, the points in the paint was outrageous. The entire game. Points in the paint... I mean, OKC closed the gap. At one point, they were like behind by 20-something. 
And then OKC closed the gap 50 to 40. But it was the points off turnovers that really killed OKC. Just Donovan Mitchell driving in transition, and OKC couldn't do anything about it. Same old, same old. You saw Paul George guard him down the stretch. It didn't really work out. And then points in the paint. Of course, Steven Adams fouled out early. Yeah, Steven Adams, I think, was very clearly not himself tonight. I think that hand was very clearly bothering him. He just looked out of sorts. He played 22 minutes. Jeremy Grant got 30. Felton got 15. Abrinas got 15. Patterson got 10. Uh, so S- Steven Adams, I felt like just he, he didn't play great. He was a minus 10 on the night, 9.7 rebounds. But to me, it was very clear that Adams was was not – something was off. Something was not right with him tonight. Also – I would agree with that. I think – And – Sorry, go ahead. It wasn't just Adams, like yeah, – it, it wasn't just Adams. It was PG – that after that scorching hot, scorching hot game one, he fell back down to earth, shooting six of 21, four of 12 from three. And got in Mello, George Westbrook collectively shot. I'm going to do some really, really quick math, and it's going to be really, really terrible. 40, 50, 58. They shot 19 of 58 collectively. Yep. Almost 33 percent. bad. Yeah, they and they shot poorly in the fourth quarter. Mello, six of eighteen, seventeen points on eighteen shots. Paul George, eighteen points on twenty-one shots. Russell Westbrook, nineteen points on nineteen shots. You're just you're you're not going to have a a recipe for success doing that, you know. And I think the, the for me the two stats that stick out the most. Number one is just the the final frame, the fourth quarter. The Thunder lose that quarter, sixteen to twenty-eight. And also, in game one of this series, Derek Favors scored seven points and had five rebounds. Tonight in game two, Derek Favors had 20 points and 16 rebounds. So they It's still pretty got... apparent that the game plan was to go out mellow. Yep. And I, I feel like regardless of what the Thunder tried to switch up defensively, the Utah Jazz, yeah, the, the game plan was put mellow in every single pick and roll possible put mellow on every and i mean let's be honest here like giving up 102 points that isn't that awful you know that that's a fairly good defensive game you only gave up 102 points the thing is this the thunder especially the big guys didn't shoot the ball well percentages were bad i thought also a big stat from this game was from the, the from the free throw line where the Utah Jazz shot nearly double the amount of free throws that the Oklahoma City Thunder did. Thunder were 12 of 18 from the line. Jazz were 23 of 33 from the line. Yes, the Thunder need to make more free throws, but I, that, that free throw discrepancy uh, weighed pretty large. They shot just about the same percentage from the free throw line, but that discrepancy was um, was massive. Thunder also out-rebounded by 10 tonight. I think also a big deal was... Rubio going five of eight from three point land. He was twenty two nine and seven. He almost had a triple double himself. You're usually going to leave Rubio to shoot those threes because he's not a very good three point shooter. But somehow he goes five of eight from three, five of six from the free throw line. Donovan Mitchell went zero of seven from three, 
and eight of nine from the free throw line. But Rubio canned those three pointers, and that's what kept them in it for the majority of the part of the game. Really, I thought OKC might pull away when they got that 10 point lead late in the third quarter. And then, of course, like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Donovan Mitchell's probably going to get this down to five or seven. And lo and behold, and he gets an and one, then he gets an easy layup. They go into the they go into the fourth quarter, only up five after outscoring them 33 to 21. And like you just said, they get outscored 28 to 16 in the fourth quarter. They looked really, really discombobulated. It delegated back to ISO ball. There was not a lot of ball movement. They they forced a lot of mid-range shots. Like Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony. It was very clear that they were in mid-range situations where they were very, very guarded with the multiple hands in their faces at the break and or at the free-throw line. And they just shot a jump shot over two guys. And, of course, that's not going to go in a lot of the times regardless of who you are. So they shot a lot of contested jumpers that were not off of ball movement. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I think it was it was very clear that the game kind of devolved for the Thunder moving into the fourth quarter. Um, overall, and I've seen this a lot from fans so far this evening, overall, it's a 1-1 split heading to Salt Lake City for the next two games. Guaranteed at least a game five. Um my initial assumption is that this series comes back to Oklahoma City for Game 5, tied up 2-2. But I think people really put their expectations very, very high after Game 1 and after that crazy Paul George game. And then now people are like really freaking out after Game 2 and kind of this fourth quarter collapse. It's seven-game series, man. And at this point, with it being 1-1, we are technically down to a best of five. Yes, with three of them being played in Utah. So Utah has reclaimed home court advantage. But we're down to a best of five series. And I think our all of our initial guesses that this series would go six or seven are still, I mean, still alive. But I think it's still a, a very strong possibility that that's what happens. Yeah, so what should we expect going forward, especially the two games in Utah coming up, especially the one on Saturday? As far as game plan? Yeah, what do you what do you expect Billy Donovan to do going forward? Uh, that's a good question. I, I'm, uh, I'm hesitant to say it because the Thunder really shut down Joe Ingles again tonight, but I wonder if they'll start... Paul George on Donovan Mitchell going into game three to keep him out of a rhythm and not let him get get going downhill. It's a lot easier to keep a fire out than to put it out once it's blazing. So I wonder if, if they'll make that switch sooner. Honestly, I would not be surprised to see the same amount, if not a little bit more, of Jeremy Grant. I thought he played well on both ends of the ball tonight. So I would not be surprised to see more of him, especially because he is able to switch those screens and not get into as many mismatches as Carmelo Anthony does. Jeremy Grant only played seven minutes less than Carmelo Anthony tonight. Um, Grant had 13.6 rebounds. So I, I would not be surprised to see a little more Grant as well. And um, I don't know. I just think that, that the defense overall played a decent game but i think they're going to try to find more ways to get the ball into the paint 
and draw that Utah defense in and try to either get points at the rim or draw the defense in to the point where we can either get fouled or kick out for threes. Uh, I, I think that's where the adjustments need to come because the, the fourth quarter offense tonight was very ugly. I think there were a lot of foul calls that were unnecessarily called on OKC, especially on Steven Adams at the rim twice at Gobert where he got his hand up. Because I don't, I really, his right hand, Stephen Adams, is really, I feel like it's not, it's not okay. Because he's been putting it in ice, so he's been contesting with one hand instead of both hands up and at the rim. And there was a couple of contests that he did where he swatted the ball, but they called a foul for him. I guess maybe, he maybe got Rudy Gobert on the wrist, but he's getting Gobert there on the wrist, and it's a foul call. And Donovan Mitchell barely gets grazed on the head, and his head doesn't bob back like Harden's, and it's a foul call. But Russ dives at the rim and can't get a call to his life, which is really, really frustrating. But also the fact that look at look at the minute disparity. Look at the minutes across all these players. OKC, the top three players that played minutes or the top minutes played, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. Carmelo Anthony played more minutes than Russell Westbrook. Paul George was 43. Donovan Mitchell had 43. Melo had 38 to Russ's 37. And Jeremy Grant had starter minutes. He had 30, but that's, of course, because Steven Adams went out early. So, And Steven Adams was in foul trouble, so Steven Adams could only play 22. You'd like to see Patrick Patterson play more than 10 minutes. I, I would really like to see him play more than 10 minutes because – I don't think Carmelo is playing Derek Favors off the floor like many people thought he would. Yeah, at least not in this game. And so if Billy Donovan is like this master of substitutes, this master of making changes during during the game, you would think putting Patrick Patterson in the game a little bit earlier and once he's seeing Derek Favors just physically dominate him would be a thing. But it wasn't tonight. Yeah, and that that's where I thought you were going and I, I would agree with that especially in that second quarter when Favors was just eating offensive glass, just ripping down offensive rebound off an offensive rebound over Carmelo Anthony. Um, I thought that it would have been favorable to go to Jeremy Grant or Patrick Patterson in that time because it was very clear that the Thunder had a rebounding deficiency and Steven Adams was in foul trouble, so they really needed to get one of those those other bigs in uh, who has a little better lift over Carmelo Anthony to snag some of those rebounds. So overall, Jeremy Grant played, again, a really solid game. He was a plus one, and there are only two other players in the team that actually had a positive plus minus. Corey Brewer with the highest at a plus nine. He had 11 points and three steals. And then actually, second highest, we just were complaining about his defense, Carmelo Anthony. Plus four, 17 points, nine rebounds, and one steal. Yep. And I've, I've said I would reserve judgment on Melo until the playoffs. Tonight, he had two opportunities to hit step-in threes under two minutes left to close the gap to a one-possession game and give the Thunder a chance to win. And bricked them both. He was two of nine from three tonight. And that's why Melo is on this team to make those types of shots, to make those types of shots in these games, in the playoffs, whenever the, the, the game grinds down, it becomes a half-court set, 
And Melo is this guy that is able to get buckets and get shots to help a team win. And he did not do that tonight. And if Melo is not able to do that for you, um, I think Jeremy Grant should continue to get more minutes. I definitely think. Uh, I And I think Billy Donovan is going to have a, a big decision to make coming down the stretch of some of these games on if he keeps Melo in or he puts Grant in. Um, because, you know, you brought Melo to Oklahoma City for these playoff games. So it's, it's got to be a hard decision to pull him off, but you also have to go with who's playing better in the moment. And so far, at least for game two, that was Jeremy Grant. Yeah, it's really frustrating because this is the playoffs. This is playoff basketball. So we're done with these ticky-tack bullcrap fouls. That's, that's what was frustra- frustrating me and driving me nuts the entire night or when I was watching the game is that playoff basketball – is full of hard fouls that they actually do get called, and even how some of the hard fouls don't get called. And we get done with these small ticky-tack fouls that are just like simple like shoves here or a, a simple elbow there. That's that's all good. That's that's game in the playoffs. But and that was apparent in this game. But it was also apparent that they were very inconsistent. When calling this stuff, that's what was driving me crazy. If you're going to call playoff basketball and not call ticky-tack fouls, then don't call ticky-tack fouls and just call the big stuff. But the referees, they were down to calling ticky-tack fouls occasionally. And that's yep. what was driving me nuts. I agree. And I felt like it was that way on both ends, you know, that uh, it, that it wasn't inconsistency between teams. It was inconsistency between what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. And yeah, I'm with you. That gets very frustrating as the game wears on. Very fresh because uh, the team gets used to, okay, this is how the officiating is going to be tonight. Um, if I go to the rim, I'm not going to get this whistle, so I'm really going to have to fight to get get to the get to the hoop. But then later on in the game, those whistles start coming. You know, so it's a uh, it's best for all parties involved. I do want to take a minute and talk about Donovan Mitchell. As as a true rookie, this kid is playing incredible. Like, I didn't know if he could continue his play into the postseason, and I have been just blown away. Uh, only 10 of 25 from the field tonight, uh, 0 of 7 from 3, but he has 28 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal. And when push came to shove and... Utah had to get something going to stay in this game at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth. Donovan Mitchell took over in ways that I've seen superstars take over. Mm-hmm. And as a Thunder fan, it's frustrating. But as a basketball fan, it's incredible. That kid is is playing great. Uh, shout out to him. He led his team in scoring again tonight. He had six more than the his closest counterpart, who was Ricky Rubio. Rubio had 16 shots, was again the second highest shot taker on the team. I think the Thunder will continue to live with that. But Donovan Mitchell's insane. He's, he's so good. I think he's going to be better than Harden within the next few years. Wow. Like, just... Just the just the way in which he plays, 
it just reminds me of James Harden, except he actually gives a damn on defense. Like he can hit step back three pointers. He can drive to the lane. He can he he does euros everywhere. He does, he has a floater game down already. He's already averaging like twenty eight eight nine. Yep, it's amazing. And he's only a rookie. He's gonna be Houston fa- Houston fans. Excuse me, Utah fans are gonna be so much happier with Donovan Mitchell than they ever were with Gordon Hayward. That guy is a sensational rookie, and I kind of hope he does not leave Utah. But at the same time, I hope he leaves Utah so OKC would not have to face him every year. That guy's a monster. Yeah, he's And he's, he's only going to get better. Like, he's got – because he didn't project this high up in the draft. Because what, what, what spot was he taking? I forget because Utah traded with Denver. I remember early on in the draft process, Donovan Mitchell was projected like a late teen, early 20s pick until he went to the combine and got his measurements. And they found out that his arms were like orangutan arms. Yeah. At which point, a bunch of teams were like, oh, shit, this kid has the length, has the athleticism, has the shooting ability. And so <laughs> who's really kicking themselves right now is Denver. Denver mm-hmm. gave up. Denver swapped picks and got Trey Lyles. They basically gave up Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles. And um, that is a a not good trade for Denver. Like I was talking to somebody today and I said, you know what? Because Donovan Mitchell, he shot 50% last game in game one. He shot 50%. And really the rest of the Utah team didn't do a lot. And I said, you know what? If OKC... If they can somewhat limit Gobert, like they kind of even did tonight, Gobert was 13 and 15, and that's because Stephen Adams was in foul trouble, or else Gobert would probably be like 10 and 10 and 10 and 12. So that's fine. That's good. That's all you want Gobert to do. You don't want to have him a 2020 game. As long as you let Donovan Mitchell do what he does, you put Corey Brewer on an island with him, but you limit what Rubio is able to do. You limit what Joe Ingles is able to do. You limit what Derek Favors is able to do. Then you win. But what happened tonight, Rubio is their second score, 22 points, 5 of 8 from 3. Derek Favors apparently just got a wild hair, 37 minutes, 8 of 14, 2 of 3 from 3 points, also 20 points. And honestly, Utah has no bench. Jonas Jerebko, Melo played his ass off the floor so quickly in game one. Jerebko gets 13 minutes tonight, gets 10 points. So, it's again, it's a simple recipe of, yes, you maybe throw Corey Brewer on Donovan Mitchell, let him get those 25, 28 points, and hopefully he won't shoot 50%, but you have to cancel out Rubio, you have to cancel out Ingles, and you know Gobert, if Adams is somewhat healthy, will keep him off the line. But Adams, again, stayed in foul trouble, which was bad for the team. And then regardless, OKC had a 10-point lead heading in almost into the fourth quarter. And they gave that up, went to a five-point lead. It was a 19-0 run, and it ended up being a 21-7 and run by the time it was over. Yep. And I think that might be another adjustment we see is a little more focus on closing out on Ricky Rubio on those threes. And even though Joe Ingles had the highest plus minus for the jazz tonight, 
he had three points, two rebounds, two assists on one of six shooting. You know, I mean, Paul George has just blanketed that guy. He's just been a wet blanket on him the entire time. Ingles cannot get into the pick and roll. Ingles cannot, um, you know, operate at the top of the key. Ingles isn't getting those catch and shoot shots. One of six from the field, one of four from three, three points, two rebounds, two assists. And Ingles is their glue guy. You know, so, yes, Donovan Mitchell went off. I did think Corey Brewer, for stretches, played good defense on Donovan Mitchell. And I think the Thunder mm-hmm. created a wall that Donovan Mitchell would have to try to pass through to get to get to the rim. And I would assume that we're going to see a little more focus on those closeouts on Rubio. I, the Thunder will still go under a Ricky Rubio pick-and-roll screen, right? The Thunder will still give Rubio that leaner 15-footer on the side of the side of the lane that's semi-contested. The thing is, they have to close out harder on those three-point shots. They gave him eight tonight. He hits five of them. And like you were mentioning, the besides Jarebko's 10 points tonight, the Utah bench did nothing. Jay Crowder was awful. Royce he had o- five fouls. Yep, Royce O'Neal did nothing. Dante Exum was a little bit of a pest, but one of three for two points, uh, one rebound, one assist, one steal. You know, their bench did not play well. Uh, granted, besides Jeremy Grant, the Thunder bench didn't really play well. Uh, Felton had eight. Abrinas did not have a good game tonight. But it's like the Thunder have limited everybody else. They just have to do that that little bit extra of, cl- I feel like, closing out on those shooters. If they close out on a few of those Ricky Rubio threes in quicker fashion and force him instead of going five of eight to, eight to go three of eight. You know, this is a completely different ball game. And did you feel, did you, did you get the feeling that OKC turned up its defensive intensity in the third quarter? Yes. I felt like they came out of the half, um, with a lot more intensity and with a, a sense of getting out in transition more, which is where this and... team will have to try to win the series. Exactly. I felt like OKC came out the third quarter really pressing, and that's what got them that lead. And then the next thing you know, Utah slows them down transition, but you saw Utah turns them over, and then just Donovan Mitchell completely takes over the game, literally just completely takes over the game, and that's how the game ended. If Oklahoma City plays from the beginning to end with that sort of passion, intensity, urgency of just running – a, they're going to get held up for more free throws because they tried to run the break several times in the second half, and when they weren't able to, it was because they were fouled and they were grabbed. If they're able to run the break in the first half and the second half, they probably get more free throws. And that may or may not win them the game. But simply, you have to do a better job of being more physical. I feel like, like people said Oklahoma City was the more physical game physical team during game one it was pretty clear utah was the more physical team during game two i would agree yeah it seems like utah one of their adjustments from game one to game two was to really ramp up the physicality um and and credit to them they did so and now we'll see what adjustments oklahoma city can make coming out and going to salt lake city for game three also alex abrinas was terrible tonight yep he did not he did not have a good game um, and your hope has, has to be that he will he will bounce back because uh, they need him. They need him. They need that spacing. They need that three-point shooting. Um, they need him on the court. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. 
We're at about 25 minutes now, and we don't want to make these post-game podcasts too awful long for you guys. So, Kamiar, what do you expect going into Game 3? Of course, you would hope from the previous games, 1 and 2, the Oklahoma City does not come out flat and get outscored in, in a 10-point hole or 9-point hole like they were in the first two games. That's your first hope, that they come out ready to play. And then your second hope is that Russ or PG can get to the line, that they can be efficient but also get to the line. And also, lastly, you have to hope that Steven Adams can stay on the court and or Rubio regresses back to the means just like PG did. Yep. I'm with you. I, I expect, like I said, more closeouts on Rubio. Um, I expect probably PG to stay on Ingles, and they're going to live with Corey Brewer on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I expect the Thunder to come out ready to go. They're the, they're the ones with the experience in the playoffs. They're the ones that now kind of feel the pressure to not go down 2-1 in the series and have to fight for their playoff lives in Game 4. So I feel like the pressure is on the Thunder, and that's when we see big things from Russell Westbrook. So I'm excited for Game 3. It is a late-night game. Game 3 uh, tips at 9 p.m. Central Time out in Utah on Saturday night. Kalmyar and I will actually not be able to catch that game. We will be score-watching, though. So, um, also, hey, before we log off for the podcast for the evening, I, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out. We have the first uncontested T-shirt available. Because Ooh, they're nice. They are nice people. They are pretty awesome shirts. Uh, they are in the theme of NBA Jam, the old Sega Genesis game. We're really, really excited about them. They are available. You can find them through our website. You can also find them at theuncontestedsports.bigcartel.com. Should we tell them about the idea I had today? Sure, go for it. So, because these shirts, they're pretty dope, guys. I'm not going to lie. The fabric is amazing. The, The graphic is amazing. It's very retro. It's very, like you said, NBA Jam. And because we're a podcast that caters to not only NBA basketball, not only Thunder basketball, but also pop culture, maybe thinking of doing a Ghostbusters OKC Big Four mashup. So keep your eyes out for that, possibly. Yeah, it's got, we, we've got some big ideas. It's going to be awesome. And these designs have been put together by our dude Andrew Martin over at Passive Juice on Twitter. He's got his own little... Um, his little thing going, he's he's working on doing some NBA retro stuff, some other kind of old 80s, 90s pop culture style t-shirts and designs. So give him a follow. He's made his playoff P design that he made is incredibly dope. So make sure you guys give him a follow and check out the website and pick up a t-shirt. They're only 15 bucks. We wanted to price them uh, pretty, pretty well for you guys, you know, a little bit below like the market value of $20 per shirt. So we'd love if you guys would check that out. Uh, any parting words before we get out of here, Comier? You know I'm going to say, partner. That game was nasty. God dang it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Bye. Thunder up.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.